0: Well, good morning. <clears throat> Before we begin, I, I do want to ask a favor of you. Uh, on behalf of the elders, I want to ask that you would be in prayer, uh, intercede for them, uh, that, that God would give us wisdom and going forward as a church family and what that looks like in our dynamics. The Lord has blessed Grace Bible Church with healthy growth. That's what we prayed for, and the Lord has has brought us many other disciples to invest in and and other visitors to be able to to pour into as well. And we want to be wise in what we do with that. And and growth pains are exciting, but they can also at times make you a little uncomfortable sometimes. If you don't believe me, just ask my wife who's 38 weeks pregnant about that. The blessing of life can sometimes make us a little uncomfortable and what that looks for us. And so uh, I want to give us just a unique time. I think just individually, silently, I think uh, to just pray, each of us, that the Lord would give great wisdom, would make us great decision makers, uh, and that his kingdom would be advanced as we continue on in our desire to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so uh, let's just take a, a minute or two, and I'll close this in that before we begin our sermon text this morning of 2 Timothy chapter 2. So would you bow your head and just lift up our uh, our elders and and just pray for the Lord's blessing of wisdom uh, for our church let's pray Father, just a single minute gathered with your body is a beautiful gift. We thank you that our King defeated death, that Jesus arose from the dead and he sits at your right hand, that he makes intercession for us. And as your children, you call us to be those who are quick to go to you like little children. We ask, Lord, that you would bless our church family with wisdom, as we aim to fulfill your calling and your command on our life to be a people sold out to making disciples of Jesus Christ for your glory and yours alone. And in this, we ask that as we understand your word better, that it would ripple into our lives as men and as women, as those that are young and those that are older. We are your body. This is your church And we are unashamed to be your bride. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to allow us to gather together, to lift your praises in song, to hear your word preached, to give of our lives, that your spirit would sharpen us, that he would comfort us. He would also likewise convict us in all righteousness as we aim to be your hands and feet in this world that desperately needs the true and better groom. We thank you, Lord, for our time together. And all God's people said, in the name of Jesus, Amen. Well, I think all of us appreciate a good story. I know I do. And every story has an author, and every author has a purpose in their writing. Some to persuade, to get you to do something, others maybe just to relax and to entertain you. So, whether it's a movie or uh, a, a novel, there is an intent. But at the end of the day, we ask ourselves, what do I do with what I just heard? What, what is the purpose of what I just watched or just heard? At the end of the day, what do I do with this? And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul makes very clear for Timothy, at the end of the day, with everything boiled down, here is the call and the command upon his life as he aims to fulfill his purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ in Ephesus and overseeing the bodies there if he's going to be successful and effective in making disciples of Jesus Christ, we're going to discover in our verses this morning two particular truths, that if he captures them and he applies them, they will help him to be ever more effective. And yet, if he neglects them, they will impact his effectiveness in in fulfilling the mission that God has given him. And the same is true for us today. Here in Nacogdoches our calling to be a people who are making disciples of Jesus Christ, if we will take this word and and sow it into our lives, God will make us more effective as he continues to grow us as a people committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ for his glory and his goodness. And if we fail to apply them individually to our lives and collectively as a church family, it will inhibit our ability to do so in the way that God calls us to do so. So, very excited to go to this text. Let's look first and foremost, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. We're going to notice that at the end of the day, everything boiled down. What are you trying to do here? How do we do this? At the end of the day, making disciples requires intentional multiplication. At the end of the day, making disciples, it requires intentional multiplication. So, So, how do we do that? How do we intentionally multiply verse 1 and 2 gives us these two applications for this and the first we're going to read in verse 1 and the the very first half of 2 is that by drawing upon the power of the gospel we will be multiplying ourselves as disciples by drawing upon the power of the gospel message let me read for us verse 1 and and the first half of 2 says you then paul writing to timothy you then my child remember his child in the faith by strengthening by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. If you remember, if you weren't here last week, let me catch you up a little bit. Paul has given Timothy these two particular names, Fagellus and and, and, uh, Hermogenes. And by the way, a little tip, if you're reading from the Bible in in a larger setting, and you're like, I have no idea how to announce that. There's Just pronounce that. There's three rules that will help you in life. This isn't like a part of our Bible text. This is just a, the more you know, little helpful thing. Fake it till you make it. Read it quickly. Read it confidently. And don't let your voice get higher. Right? So if you, if you just maintain those three rules, you can read any genealogical line, and they'll think, that guy or girl, they know what they're talking about. So again, we have these two characters. Here's the big point. We have these two characters that Paul gives to Timothy in our previous verses. He says, hey, these two guys who are, we assume, we presume, leaders of the church in Asia, that's present-day Turkey, they cut me off. They did me a great harm. They didn't live out the gospel the way they were supposed to. They did me a great harm. So you have a negative example. Then he gives him a positive example of Onesiphorus. And this positive example is a man who went to great lengths to visit him in prison and invest in him. And so as we look at the beginning of our text, keep that in the back of your mind, because Paul's saying, Timothy, you and I are on his team. We're people that are holding to the Gospel message. We're taking the Gospel message and we are people who will live that out faithfully in our lives. So we're with uh, Onesiphorus. We're not with the previous characters. That's who we are. And how are we going to be strengthened? Look what he says. You then, my child, be strengthened. This is the present passive word. So the idea is instead of strengthening yourself, he says you be strengthened. Instead of you strengthening yourself, you be strengthened as you seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So we have to be strengthened because it's the power of the Lord, it's the power of the gospel that works in us. As Christians, we're called to persevere in renewing our minds, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we intentionally soak ourselves in the Word of God. We intentionally aim to apply the Word of God in our lives. But it's only by the power of God that we're actually transformed in our lives. That husbands and and, and wives are are transformed in the relationships. That the widowed are transformed to look more and more like Christ. That the young are transformed to look more and more like Christ. That's a gift of God. We're strengthened by the work of the Lord in our lives. But we're called to to work it and to run for His good pleasure that He has for us. This is vital for us to remember. I, I think that he mentions this multiple times through this final correspondence he has with Timothy and here's why I think that's so important as God works in our lives individually and corporately I think it's so easy even in disciple making to have pride begin to seep into our hearts even in disciple making pride can begin to seep into our hearts so that when others begin to change and their life begins begins to bear fruit they come to you for wisdom and advice and you you point to them the gospel their life begins to change Their marriage has become more healthy. There can even in that be a hint of pride that latches onto our heart or like plaque to our teeth and it sneaks in under the radar. So he says, you, Timothy, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers in the 1800s, he made this incredible little quote. I'm going to read it for us. It's just a couple sentences, but it's so good to show us the dangers of pride how it can seep into our hearts undetected. He says, Nowhere is a person safe from pride, particularly the one who thinks himself so. Pride may enter a poor man's heart. Greed may reign in a servant's chest. Anger and envy and malice may insinuate themselves into the most modest of homes. O Lord, how exposed we are! How shall we be secured? Then he answers... Only you, God, are able to preserve us in such a world of evils. Spread your wings over us, and we, like little chicks, will cower beneath you and feel ourselves safe from pride. My fellow little chicks, as we aim to be making disciples of Jesus Christ for His glory, may we continually remember that we are being strengthened by God to do so, so that pride will be kept at bay as we nestle under the wings of our King. So 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 we we ultimately it requires us to be intentional in multiplication by drawing upon the power of the gospel message, and and secondly, by devoting ourselves to the purposeful pursuit of people. Look at verse two as we continue on. Devoting ourselves to the purposeful pursuit of people. He says in verse 2 Entrust then to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul doesn't tell Timothy to be an all star. He doesn't tell Timothy to be a super, superhuman figure that does it all, but rather like Paul, multiplied himself into the life of others, into men and women. In this context, we're talking about, I think there's an application here of this elders and leaders in the church, but the preserving of the gospel, the protecting of the gospel, the teaching office of the gospel, but our responsibility to teach. He tells Timothy, the vitality of you fulfilling your ministry involves you reproducing yourself into the lives of others. To invest in them and to love them so much that you care what they believe. You care how they live. You care what they teach. So he says, entrust this to others. Entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is a part of Timothy being successful in his ministry is his intentionality to reproduce himself into the life and mindset of others. And that will only happen, listen, it will only happen by purposefully pursuing other people if you and I are going to fulfill the gospel call that He's given us to make disciples of Jesus Christ, that's not going to happen very well on accident. We have to be intentional with our time to purposefully pursue people. Who do we pursue? Who do you tell Timothy to pursue? Pursue people who are mature in faith. You know what I'm saying? He says the people that seem to be, you're casting seed, Timothy, in those spots where it begins to take root and grow, Keep watering those spots so that as they grow, they'll begin to do what you're doing. It'd be like somebody, if there was a small fire out here and we realized, you know It's too big for me to put out. I could go out there and work tirelessly to try and put it out, but I'm not going to be ultimately effective. What would be better for me to do is to go and to recruit other, other people, other able-bodied people that could go and do this task with me so ultimately instead of one person fighting a fire, there's a sufficient number of people fighting a fire. Maybe I recruit three other people to come help, and then I send two others to say, you go get more people. And at the end of the day, instead of just me working tirelessly and ineffectively, there's 30 of us, 40 of us putting out this fire. Now, thank God for firefighters. You don't want me fighting any fires. Okay, that would end up poorly. But that's what God calls us to do, is to multiply ourselves and part of that has to deal with being intentional to pursue other people, to invest in them, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We need to pursue and challenge and entrust the gospel message. Give responsibilities. If you remember our sermon on, on 1 Corinthians 4, I'm sure you've thought about nothing else since that, like a month and a half ago. You're like, Brent, I, I just eat, drink, and sleep that sermon. I love it so much. But you can't get online, by the way, and listen to it. I'm going to refer to it for the next decade plus that we're together okay so you should probably get it down a little bit and here's what we talked about in short we saw that there's this intentional idea this vision this intentional idea that paul demonstrates that he teaches he models what it is to live for them he sends them timothy he deploys them to live out the message and then he assesses them this four-step process of maturity that's taking place teaching modeling deploying and assessing continually that's what we do when we gather right we hear the word taught we're called to go model it, live it together, and then we, we, we're deployed out, and then we come back the next week, and the Word and the Spirit help to assess our hearts. How effectively were we, and how can we improve all the day more until the Lord comes again, as we aim to make disciples of Jesus Christ? So here's an application point for each of us. Everybody's got to eat. And all the restaurant owners said, right, everybody's got to eat. we got 21 meals. Now we got to fill into our, our, our calendars. That's 1,100 meals a year. I did, I did the math. Jonathan, I did it. Very good. We have 1,100 meals a year. Now that doesn't mean we take 1,100 meals to intentionally pursue people, to shape in them in Christ, to read Scripture with them, and to challenge them to memorize Scripture, and to challenge them to share their faith with other people and to speak into each other's lives. That doesn't mean we do that for 1,100 meals or, or 21 meals a week. That would be, that'd be too much. But it does mean every one of us, I think, should proactively start our week, take our Sunday afternoon, map our week, and intentionally plan on at least one of those meals to do like what Timothy is charged to do and pursue somebody in the body that we can be actively pr- pouring into and sharpening intentionally over that meal. And then there's another group of people that I think we should proactively be looking at people that we may have interaction with in our lives that either don't know Jesus Christ, maybe they claim to know Christ, but they are disconnected from a local fellowship. And then with another one of those meals, of those 21, so 19 out of 21 we have to our own demise, but two of those were intentional to pursue a person that we're sharpening for the kingdom of God. and We're pursuing to, to get up and get in the race of the kingdom of God to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. I think if we proactively put that on our calendars on a weekly basis, there's no telling what the Lord will do in our body and in our church community, and our greater community as a whole. There is no telling how that will reverberate through our entire ministry efforts, locally and internationally. So at the end of the day, making disciples, it requires intentional multiplication, but secondly, as we boil it all down at the end of the day. Making disciples it requires obedience over preference. If we're to boil down disciple making at its very simplest form, it's this: it's remember, a disciples a follower of. So, if I'm becoming a better follower of Jesus Christ, it means throughout the day, all ten thousand decisions I make throughout the day, I'm looking and I'm trying to say, not my preference, but your preference, Lord Jesus, not my preference, but your preference. And what Paul's going to give to Timothy is three different metaphors, three different examples that help to charge Timothy to be a better disciple-maker. And I I, I took those three and I kind of boiled them down to what I saw as three areas where you and I have to choose. Will I choose obedience to my King Jesus or will I choose my preference? Every one of us. if If we're given the choice, we would always take the area of least consequences. We'd always choose ice cream. By the way, since we moved here, I have learned that y'all are crazy for Blue Bell ice cream. I don't know. There's, there's, I knew I knew it was going to get like a greater response than anything else I could say. I don't know what's going on, okay? I mean, it is good. Don't hear me wrong. It's good. But, but y'all, you like your Blue Bell ice cream. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to move on. I don't want any anonymous letters coming my way later on. So again, that's good for you. I'm excited about the Blue Bell ice cream. But we'd all choose, if we all had preference... We would take the path of least resistance, and that's not always what the Lord calls us to. So let's look at these three areas that requires disciples and making disciples obedience over preference. The first in verse 3 is obedience despite consequences. Obedience despite consequences. Verse 3, he says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Remember that that title, Christ, the Messiah, the, the, the Anointed One of God. Share in suffering as a good soldier. I had a lot of friends when we were back in Missouri. We were stationed right outside a, uh, or we we were living right outside a military base that was stationed right beside us, and so we interacted. Our church was probably half military members. And, and I, you know what, I never, what's interesting is they would speak about their shift work or different things they would have. Some of, so many of those men and women had to work terrible hours. But even though they complained, they never complained in a sense of, man, that's not what I signed up for. Some would be deployed for a year at a time. And then they'd get back and then they'd be deployed out a year later for another year. And even though they may not have liked it, you know what, they never really complained about it. Because they signed up for it. Now, they didn't know when they they enlisted that they would be sent out for all of 2016 and get back and then be sent out for all of 2018. They didn't know those details. But they knew they had sworn an allegiance and an oath that would require a list of things that would be a number of hardships and consequences on their life and on their families. But they did so anyway. He calls you and I soldiers of Christ who share in suffering. When we came to Christ, we signed up for consequences that would be a continual aspect of laying down our preferences for His glory. A continual laying down of preferences for His glory. What did Jesus say? Do you remember? Remember when he, he speaks to the disciples and He says, embrace yourself. Sit down in your recliner and watch. Is that what He told us? Is that what He told His disciples? The opposite. He didn't say embrace yourself. He said do what to yourself. Deny yourself. So he didn't say embrace yourself. He said what? Deny yourself. He didn't say sit down in your recliner. He said pick up your cross, this instrument of execution and suffering. He said deny yourself, take up your cross, and watch me. Just watch. He said follow me. That is the call of following Christ. It's a daily submission of ourselves to say, Lord, here's my preferences, but your will be done. Here's what I want to do. Here's my plan for my life. Will you sign off on it? But what's your plan for my life? I'm signing even though I don't know full well what that includes. But you know what, God? Every day I've got preferences. But help me to be a man or a woman of you, a soldier for you, who will count the cost of suffering. Look what Paul says there. The very first word. Share in suffering. I think one of the largest tactics of the enemy, when you and I are going through hardships, are to make us think we're alone. Would you agree with that? I think one of the largest tactics of the enemy is to get us isolated. That means you can be going through a hardship and you can be a part of a local church family and you can gather together on a weekly basis and yet you can feel like you are in total isolation. What does Paul say at the very beginning? Share in the suffering of Christ. I want to be clear. On the cross, the wrath of God was poured upon Jesus. And Jesus completely absorbed all the consequences of our sin. All the debt of our sin was placed upon Christ on the cross. But as you and I live our lives and we experience hardships for the kingdom of God, we do so in this way of sharing suffering together. To the point that when Jesus interacts with Paul on the road to Damascus, what did Jesus say? What did he accuse Paul of? He say, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting them? Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting the church? Now, well, what do he say? Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? When you and I as followers of Christ aim to live our lives in obedience to Christ, the sufferings that we endure bind us with our brothers and sisters together in front of and beh- beside and behind us. They also bond us to Christ, our King. So share in the suffering despite the consequences. And secondly, this obedience despite distractions. Obedience despite the consequences, verse 3. Now into verse 4, obedience despite distractions. He further unpacks this example of sharing in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse 4 says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. No soldier gets entangled. That word entangled is used as a rabbit that gets stuck in a bunch of thorns and it's trapped. So like I don't know rabbits very well, but I'm assuming that rabbit didn't go out being, you know what would be great today if I just got totally trapped in a bunch of thorns. It gets blindsided, and before it know it, that, that rabbit cannot escape. And what does Paul say about the soldier of the Lord who shares in the suffering of Christ Jesus? Verse 4. No soldier gets entangled. Entangled. You're trapped like a rabbit in this thorn bush. You can't get out. What does he tell the soldier? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Our world will fight like cats and dogs until Christ comes. Our world will be filled with entertainment until Christ comes. Our world will be filled with the pursuit of pleasure. Quick, pleasure until christ comes but we aren't and if we don't take that serious you and i will become entangled i will become entangled now all the civilian pursuits of the world are not bad but if you're a soldier they can be very bad imagine you're in a unit what happens you want to serve with soldiers who are distracted what would happen to the unit it could be fatal it's like texting texting isn't evil or bad but if you're driving, it can be devastating. You're to have a single-mindedness when you drive. That I'm driving, this is what I'm doing. And a a plurality of mind, a double-mindedness that says I'm driving, but I'm also talking to this person. It can be fatal. And that's the same with a soldier. The soldier is to have a single-mindedness of doing what? His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Soldiers suffer And that suffering is a part of the effectiveness of having a single-mindedness of the kingdom of God over our preferences. Despite distractions that will come our way left and right, we're promised that this will never cease. We will forever have a wealth of, of distractions that will be a constant attack upon our conscience and our lives. The good soldier, regardless of distractions or hardships, they figure out a way to do what? To adapt and to overcome. You and I, as a follower of Christ, may, may be experiencing things in your life right now you did not think to sign up for. Whew, I thought that was me. Okay. All right. But what's that mean for us? We have distractions in our life. That was like perfectly timed with distractions. Was That was so good. <laughs> it was amazing. I don't know who that was, but you should not feel bad about that because that was of the Lord, okay? You just didn't put it on silent. That was great. That was, that was fantastic. Right? I did not plan that, I promise you. I'm not that forward thinking, but that was really good. But we're, we're all going to have distractions in our mind that are going to come our way. We're all going to have seasons of pain and difficulty and suffering in our life that we did not desire, none of us do. But like a good soldier, we're to adapt in a life that says, I will adapt and overcome this to make disciples for the glory of God so that his strength may be seen great in my weakness so that in my sufferings they will see that I will latch to Christ as the rest of the world begins to shrivel away. That's how our Lord works. I want to be clear in in the the spots I'm going to apply this to. Hobbies are not bad. Hobbies are healthy, I think, for for rest and, and relaxation and rejuvenation. But I do think the idea of this application for us is that you and I need to regularly talk to God, regularly seek the Lord in prayer, regularly ask the Spirit of God, Spirit, do I have too many passions? Do I have too many hobbies? You listen to what the Spirit convicts you about. You get in His Word. If the Spirit pokes you in an area, you be obedient to Him. And I've got to do the same in my life. And I've had seasons of my life, and Sarah would tell you, where I was just convicted, where I had to give up sports, watching sports for a while, because it was too distracting. You have to look and you have to assess and you have to go to the Lord with what kind of single-mindedness and focus does He want you to have? Because I believe a person only has so much emotional energy to pursue passion. And if you look at your life at the end of the day objectively and you, and you, and you measure your, your calendar, and you measure your, your bank account, these objective markers that we have that speak into our life, and you say, you know what? I objectively am serving the ways of the world far more than I am serving Christ. Lord, prune my heart prune my hobbies. You deal with that with the Lord. It's not about me, so don't blame me, okay? I've got to deal with the Lord in this too. It's this idea of of this reality that you and I must be aware of the danger of distractions that will forever be in our life. Now, I could give you dozens and dozens of positive examples. I'm only going to give you one I've seen in our church recently. and I've got her permission to to, to share this with about you, but Lori Pesto, if you know Lori, you know that she is incredibly gifted in the area of administration and hospitality. The Lord has blessed her in a wonderful way. She has blessed our church and a multitude of our ministries. And any gatherings that happen, she's got her fingerprints on so many to help them run effectively. And I was hearing her speak about this to somebody else. I was listening in, because that's what I do. (laughs) And I was listening in, and she had mentioned to somebody that, you know what, I wanted to serve in this way. I wanted to do and help this certain area. But I realized if I said yes to something I wanted to do out here, it meant that I was going to have to say no to grace. And so I, she, she gave up this other opportunity. She, she knew it wasn't a bad thing, but she knew that there would be consequences of having too many pursuits that would rob her of her gift in great things. That's our call in life, is to consistently assess on a week-to-week basis, to open our hands like this before the Lord and say, Lord, Will you you examine my heart? And will you give me the power and strength to make those hard decisions? Because my aim is to be making disciples of you for your glory. Now, he goes on in in obedience despite temptations. Obedience despite consequences, distractions, and in verse 5 through 7, obedience despite temptations. Now, he gives us the two examples, the two secondary examples. The first was the soldier, and now we meet the athlete and the farmer verse 5 through 7 He says an athlete is not crowned unless he com- competes according to the rules verse 6 it is the hard working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops think over what i say for the lord will give you understanding in everything the athlete let's look at the athlete first the athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules this can mean two things it can mean number 1 they're not a cheater so they're playing by the rules Number two, it can also mean they're 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 living according. They're 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 living in such a way. They're competing according to the rules means they're training in such a way that they'll be able to perform. So we have several athletes here. We have a few. Uh, Pedro is one of our cross country runners, and he serves as one of our collegiate interns. Does a wonderful job. I asked Pedro the other day, "Hey, uh, how how far did you run this morning?" And the answer he gave me, I'm convinced, is far further than I move in about a two week stretch. Uh, there is just a way that you have to discipline your body to train accordingly to win the prize. The application for discipleship is discipline. We must live in a way that requires discipline. That means telling no to our preferences on a daily basis, every one of us. And as we do that as a church family, the more we do that, the more I believe the Lord will continue to bless in that sense. As we're laying our preferences down one for another, building up the body for the glory of God, unashamed of our King who rules lives so we have the athlete but we also have the hard-working farmer that's interesting because I don't think any of us have seen a slothful farmer you know what they call those not farmers right you you don't get to be a farmer and and be slothful that's just not how it works demanding but I think every one of us has a temptation in our life to want to cut corners or to just sit back and relax the call to discipleship the call to work is our call to life on this earth that is our purpose That is our mission, to be a people ultimately for the glory of God, making disciples through a devotion to the Word, through sacrificial service, through gospel-centered worship, an unashamed community of the family of God, saying no to my preferences and, yes, to the will of the Lord. Living that out together. You know what? I bet you Timothy, the rest of his life, as as Paul tells him continually think about these things, and the Lord will show you application and insights, I bet you for the rest of Timothy's life, every time he saw a soldier, every time he saw an athlete, and every time he saw a farmer, I bet he remembered his call to be disciplined and focused to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I pray that the same three images will be burnt into your and my hearts and conscience. That every time we see a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer, We would be able to give a quick and continuous prayer to the Lord. Lord, search my heart. Lord, help me to make disciples. I'm yours. Obedience over consequences, distractions, and temptations. As the worship team comes, I want to walk into our next steps. Our next steps. Two questions. Our next steps are designed in a way for you to really think about how can I live this out in my life? Others call this conclusion that, yes, the sermon is wrapping up, but in the reality, now it's the, the mission time to be able to apply this functionally into our life. So if we don't take the next steps serious, it will end with, that was a good message or an okay message. Right, right, right. He's done better. Why do we keep him around? Right? Whatever your reason is that you fill that blank in, but our next steps is how the Word of God reverberates into our lives. So I, I phrased it for us in two questions. Number one, am I using my calendar to fulfill the orders of my commander. and That just means take a stronger look at your calendar and talk to the Lord this week and pray about an opportunity to be intentional to meet with somebody, to to discuss the things of the Lord with them. And secondly, which of the three areas that we've talked through, which of these three areas of preferences is most hindering your faithfulness? You talk to the Lord about it. Adjust accordingly beginning today when you go home. And glory be to God because he's our king. He's worthy of our response. He's worthy of service. He is good. I'm going to pray with us, and after we pray, we're going to have a time of response. That time of response means we're going to sing together to our king. After we sing, there's going to be a time of natural response of being exposed to the word of God, which is a time of giving. If you're a guest of us, we we, we pray that you would consider giving information so that we can follow you for the rest of your life. No, 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 no. (laughs) because we think it's healthy to take next steps together. We don't want to do that individually. We want to help you take that next step, the context of our church family. But there's also going to be a time where, where Bobby's going to give some of us announcements, some, some ways to be able to strategic and say, you know what, I can connect here. I can serve here. I can bless others here and hear about some of the mission work that our church has been able to be a part of. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we respond in a time of singing to our King. Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness. We thank you for your word that you've preserved through the centuries that have been inspired, has been god breathed by the Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you know our hearts, you know our minds. We thank you that while we were yet fallen, Christ would come and he would die for us. Lord, would you make us better disciple makers? Would you look at the areas of our life that we say, Lord, no, please don't touch that? And would you touch those things? Would you give us a boldness to trust you in all seasons of life? You're worthy of our praise, you're worthy of our song in this time. In Jesus' name, all God's people said together, amen.